The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. That everyone in the world wants to have hope. Amen? I mean, it seems pretty simple, but I don't think anyone walked in here longing and desiring that we would maybe sing some songs or that maybe I would, I would preach a message that would make you totally lose heart. You're like, I, you know, nobody walks in saying, you know what, I hope I leave today just downcast or discouraged, and I hope, I hope like, after this day is over that I would be uh, simply uh, stripped away, no motivation, no hope. And so, you, you know, you can ask anyone in the entire world, and, and you will find people who are looking for hope. No one says, hey, can you help me be hopeless? Hey, can you somehow give me some words that would somehow discourage me? Is there something that you could say or something that, that I could do that somehow make me uh, lose uh, my motivation or lose my joy or, or maybe have my soul a little downcast, right? And, and so nobody's ultimately looking for discouragement because we're all in a place where we're desiring to be hope-filled. If we're honest, there are times in our life when we do find ourselves discouraged, amen? If we're honest, there's times in our life where we go through situations or we go through times and we are losing heart. We do lack motivation. We are simply slipping in our hopefulness. God never intends for us to stay in that valley. He doesn't say, listen, you'll never go through the valley, but he does say, I never intend for you to stay permanently in that valley. And God ultimately wants us to have a hope in the one thing that doesn't shift, that doesn't change, that doesn't ultimately lose our hope, but rather hope in God himself. And so we live in a world that is surrounded by suffering. There's suffering everywhere. Because of sin, our world is broken, our world is fractured, there's suffering. And so even as Christians, let me tell you something, God never promises or intends for you and I to always get around suffering, but rather God intends for us to endure through suffering. Because it is through suffering that God ultimately produces something in you, produces something for you, so that we would have the fruitfulness of God that comes only through suffering. And so as Christians, can we admit we don't love suffering? We don't love it. We don't seek it. We don't pray for suffering. When it comes, we do need to know what to do with it. Amen? Because it does come, ultimately it will find you. And so I know that suffering comes in all shapes and sizes. Some of you can relate very well. Some suffering is physical. Some suffering is emotional. Suffering is spiritual. Suffering is mental. Some suffering comes marital or parental or relational. And so in all of these things, we can find pain, we can find despair, we can find sorrow, and we can find suffering. And so some of you have actually gone through a combination of multiple levels of suffering. It's like an avalanche of pain. It's like, it's like it all hits you all at once. You've ever had that week? You've ever had that month? You ever had that season where it's like, one thing on top of another thing on top of another thing, and it's a bit overwhelming, amen? And and so when we say hope in God, a lot of times our soul within us says, but where is he? But why? 
What is this thing I'm going through? What does God doing in the middle of my pain? What is God's plan for me through this suffering? And so my goal today is to help us look in James chapter 5, not necessarily away from our suffering, but rather the Bible is going to tell us to look through our suffering to something of great hope. And God will use this to actually bring us to glory. Look in James Chapter 5, he starts to end this book uh, to those who are scattered. He starts to end this book with understanding suffering. James chapter 5, verse 7. He starts off, be patient. Everyone say patient. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. I want you to see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient. Say patient. Being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be, give me that word, patient. Be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Patient. How many of you like that word? Oh, we hate that word, right? No, I mean, nobody likes that word, even as a kid, when you are tugging on your parents' leg. Mom, is it time? Dad, are we there? Hey, can we do it? Hey, ha, hey. And it's continuing, and you say, just be patient. And so we've grown up in a culture of instant gratification, haven't we? And we, we, we tend to believe that faster is better, Right? Faster internet, right? Hyper, fiber, cyber, whatever, 5G, whatever. Right? We want faster. We want faster cars. We want faster internet. We want faster deliveries, right? Amazon Prime. You can't get it here till tomorrow? What the heck? Right? Same day delivery. I'll take that one. And so we live in this world of instant, instant, instant. And so the Bible's going to tell us, hey, we should be patient. How long? How long? How long? Until the coming of the Lord. Yikes. I mean, if you think about it, until Jesus comes back, we are to be patient. And James wrote this 2,000 years ago. How many of you know that's a lot of patience? Right? And so he says, human history, it's like harvest for a farmer. How many farmers do we have in here? Okay, I didn't think very many. So if you're not a farmer, let me just explain to you how it works. As a farmer, um, this, is, this is what you do. You break the ground, and then you put seed in the ground, and then you cover the seed with the ground, and then you water the ground or wait patiently until the rain waters the ground, and then what do you do? You wait. You just wait. You do what you can do. You allow God to do what God can do. And you just simply wait upon the Lord. And here's the deal about harvesting. Here's the deal about farming. There's nothing you can do to speed up the process. Right? And so there's seasons, there's cycles, there's rhythms, there's patterns, there's all these things, but you can't do anything to ultimately speed up. What you need to do is you need to wait and be patient. And so what the Bible is telling us is that God intends your life to be fruitful. God intends your life to produce fruit, and the Bible actually says, listen, when you're bearing that fruit in the seasons of life, you need to be patient. You need to be patient so that God can produce the fruitfulness in you that he promised for you, but you need to be patient. And suffering then, suffering is like the fertilizer that strengthens the soil of your heart. So that it would produce ripe fruit in your life. He's saying there's coming a day that God is going to bring a harvest. But until that day, he's not done. You need to hear that today. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, God's not done. Let me remind you of something. God is not done. And the fruitfulness 
of life that comes through suffering is God cultivating a season of harvest because he's not done. Romans 5, let me remind you of this. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So he's saying, listen, you come to Christ by faith, you come to Christ by grace, and because of this grace and because of this, this faith, you have hope. You have hope in the glory of God. Look at what he says. But not only that, but we rejoice in our what? Sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces something. Everyone say produces The suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Everyone say hope, and hope does not put you to shame. And so faith works through suffering because you have a God who came to suffer with you and not just simply abandon you to figure it out on your own. Not only does God come to suffer uh, with you, but he came to suffer for you. And so Jesus is the plan to ultimately end all of our suffering, amen? And so faith works as you go through suffering. Jesus is working on your individual fruitfulness by allowing suffering to come to you, but not to abandon you unto it. And so there's going to come a day where Jesus is going to reap a full harvest of all of the people he has called unto salvation, that he has called into eternal life, all the people that he's called unto himself, but until that harvest day, we are to remain patient. It says over and over again, verse seven, be patient, being patient. Verse eight, be patient. Verse nine, patience. Verse 10, patience. Verse 11, he uses the word steadfast and steadfastness, which is persevering in faith with patience. As Christians, we will not avoid suffering. We live in a fallen world, saturated with sin, saturated with evil. We live in a broken world, but God empowers us with patience through his spirit so that through the suffering we can understand that Christ is good and he's not done yet. So when we look around and we experience the suffering and we understand that God is with us and God is for us and God ultimately has his hand upon us through the suffering, we know that he's producing something, that it's not meaningless, that it's not hopeless, that he's actually doing something for the fruitfulness in us, hoping to ripen us until the day of harvest. Listen, Jesus was crucified on a cross, and then he was buried in a tomb where he laid for three days. And during those three days, you could walk by and you could say, what in the world? What is God doing? How, how, does this, how does God even allow this to happen? I thought this was your own son. Why is this happening? What is this happening? I don't understand how this is going. Let me tell you something. He laid in the grave because he wasn't done yet. He's not done. You just got to be patient. Three days, 3,000 days, 300 millennia. It doesn't matter. We're waiting upon the Lord because he's not done. He said he's going to rise. We just need to be patient. And then on the third day, what happened? Jesus is alive. He rose from the grave just as he promised. And now he ascended into heaven where he sits on his throne. And he rules and he reigns over everything and all things. And he is coming again, the Bible says, and he's coming to make all things new and he's coming to remove all suffering and wipe away every tear from your eye so that you and I are called to be patient. Right now, we are in the time in between the times. Amen? 
There's going to be suffering. We are at the time of waiting, not the time of harvesting. We are at the time of trusting, not the time of harvesting. We are at the time of worshiping, not the time of harvesting. And so we need faith to get through this time because there's coming a time where Jesus is going to return and there will be no suffering. What happens when the harvest comes is the farmer goes out and he harvests all the ripe fruit. And so he looks around and he says, we'll take this, we'll take this, we'll take this, we'll take this, we take this. And so what do they do with all the dead branches? They cut them off. They stack them for the burn pile. Listen, every harvest season is an actual physical display to you of what's going to happen when Jesus returns. He will harvest the believers, and those who do not belong to him will be cut off. And the final harvest is coming when Jesus returns. But until then, until then, you and I, we need to be about sowing seed. We need to be about sharing the gospel. You and I, we need to be about telling people about the return and the coming and the glory and the grace and the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's not done yet. And so if you want to know why we're waiting so much, it's because he's not done. He's still planting. He's still sowing. We're still still sharing. We're still growing. He's still watering. He's still doing all of the things that needs to be done in order to bear the fruit for the harvest. And so you and I, because we have a God who is about the harvest, need to be about the harvest. We need about showing seed and helping people come to know Jesus is coming again. Why is that important? Look in verse 9. I'm in Romans. James 5, 9. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the, the judge. That is a capital J, judge. That's a name. His name is judge. The judge is standing at the door. This is what he's saying. He's saying Jesus is coming again. Jesus came the first time in grace and truth. He comes again in judgment. He will not come again in grace and truth. He will come again in righteousness and judgment. And he says the judge is standing and it's almost time because he's at the door. And ultimately when Jesus comes, he will bring a harvest and there will be judgment. Harvest is for the believers, judgment is for the unbelievers. And the point is, is that we don't know the day. We don't know the moment. We don't know the time of his arrival. Only God knows that. People always ask me, Eric, when's Jesus coming back? Listen, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I'm not on the planning committee. I'm on the welcoming committee. <laughs> like, I don't know when he's coming, right? But I got the kazoos. I'm ready to go. Are you with me? Right? And so we don't know, but we are ready. We don't know, but we are patient. We don't know, but we are looking forward to it. And so listen, our, lo- our world longs, our longs for justice and judgment, even as a non-Christian. Our, our, our hearts, we, something in us is ingrained to want justice and to want judgment. Everybody wants justice without judgment, right, as long as it's someone else. And, and so what happens is we see evil and, and it bothers us, amen? God sees it and it devastates him. Listen, Genesis 6, it says that God looked at the earth and he saw the inclination of man's heart. What do you think he saw? It says evil continuously all the time. He's not just looking at the actions, the things that we can see, but he's actually looking at the hearts of men, and he says, I see evil continuously all the time. And the scripture tells us that it grieves the heart of God. It's like a devastating heartbreak when he looks at that. And so let me just tell you what what I'm saying. 
is that God is not indifferent to suffering. He understands. He feels it. He's, he's devastated by it. And so our God is not indifferent to suffering. Our God hears the cries of those who are suffering. And some of you, you you've so weary under the weight of brokenness and the injustice and the oppression and the lies and the hatred and the conflict and the selfishness and the pride and all of the stuff. Amen? Like we're just tired of all of that. But what the Bible says is that Jesus Christ, who is the capital J judge, will come. And he will render a verdict and he will give justice and he will render judgment. And so while our judgment is not perfect and it's often premature, God's judgment is always perfect and it's always right on time. And so rather than looking around at others and judging others, we need to look up to Jesus preparing ourselves to be judged by him. And so we're, we're saying, oh, 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 and we're doing this where we should be saying, God, help me. I'm not the judge. There is a judge, and it's not me. And some people say, well, only God can judge me. He will. Absolutely he will. And there is coming a day where judgment will be rendered. And the judge with a capital J, his name is Jesus Christ. So let me just say this, right? If you are not a follower of Jesus. The Bible says that you are under the wrath of God. Like, I know that's weighty, and I know that's, that's discouraging, but there is good news. That, 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 that without Christ, listen, we are separated from God. We are enemies of God, the Bible says. And, and so let me just tell you, you are your own worst enemy. You are your own worst problem. You are not special. The judge is coming, and the Bible says that you are actually without excuse. If you've got a list of excuses, you might as well throw that thing up and throw it in the fire because there is no excuse before the judge. And ultimately, we have all sinned. We have all fallen short. We've all turned our own way. We've all gone astray. We've all disobeyed. We are all by nature and by choice hostile against the word of God, against the spirit of God. And we want to do our own thing. Why? Because we want to be God. But there's only one God and his name is Jesus Christ. Which means apart from a relationship with Jesus, you and I are doomed. We remain under judgment. So let me be as honest with you as I can. You are either going to be judged by Jesus or Jesus is going to be judged for you. Jesus Christ is seated on the authority seat as the judge. He's standing at the door and you and I need to be prepared for that day when he comes again and we need to anticipate that day and ask ourselves, am I in Jesus? Am I in the judge? Or I'm going to be judged because this will be the most important day of your life. That day is the most important day because that day determines every single day after that day for all of eternity. So if you're not a Christian, let me tell you why we love Jesus so much and why you should too. Our God saw sin. He saw suffering. And he came down as the Savior. He doesn't abandon us. He comes to us. Jesus actually comes into a world of suffering and death and pain and hurt, and brokenness. Jesus comes down. He doesn't sin, but he does suffer. Jesus suffers. Jesus dies so that you and I could live. Jesus does the most incredible thing imaginable, and he goes to the cross, and he endures the suffering that you and I deserve, and he receives the greatest injustice in the history of the universe so that anyone and everyone who would call upon his name would be saved and be released from judgment because our judgment 
judgment is placed on him. Jesus, who has no sin, takes all the suffering. And on the cross of Jesus Christ, he's judged over and over again. Jesus is judged by the political leaders. Jesus is judged by the religious leaders. Jesus is judged by the crowd who want a criminal released rather than him. Jesus is appointed to death all because he keeps saying that he is God. Not only that, but Jesus is judged by the Father so that those who have sinned can put their faith in Jesus and not receive the judgment of wrath, but rather receive grace and truth because the wrath of God is poured out upon the judge himself. So in our suffering, we need to know that we worship a Savior who suffered in order to take our place of all the suffering that we deserve. And so listen to me, friends. Your sin against God is worse than you think. But what Jesus did is better than you can imagine. Like, my sin's not so bad. It actually killed somebody. The sinless, flawless, holy son of God died because of our sin. And what Jesus did by absorbing our sin is better than anything we could ever imagine. The gospel is the greatest news that ever been told. It's the greatest news of hope that the world desperately, desperately needs. It is, it, the gospel is actually where the judge allows himself to be judged for the guilty. Imagine that. The judge says, you're guilty, I'll take the penalty. You're guilty, I'll pay the price. You're guilty, I'll take your place. Jesus comes off his throne and he goes to the cross and he went from being the judge of me to being judged for me. And so by his grace, I could be saved. Listen, this is only by grace, amen? It's not like Jesus looked down at all the people and said, hmm, there are a few varsity players down there. I think I want them on my team. It's not like God looked at all the people and said, you know what, there are some people down there that are actually worthy of salvation. He looks down and he only sees unworthy, evil, disobedient, glory thief rats. And he says, I'm going in. Romans 5, says 6 through 8, it says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me, friend. He died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but maybe perhaps a good person one might even dare die. So if you think you're good, maybe someone uh, would be worthy of death. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, that's when Christ chose us. That would, that's when Christ died. So listen to me. Before I did anything right or anything wrong, he loved me and he died for me. So some of you are like, you know, I just need to clean myself up a little bit before I go to God. Listen, you can't do it, friend. It's, a, it's an impossible text. You cannot make yourself holy. You cannot make yourself righteous. You need someone who is righteous to clothe you with his righteousness. And take upon himself all of your unrighteousness. That is the gospel. So if you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. If you've not given your sin to Jesus, you need to give your sin to Jesus. Amen? Because Jesus Christ is the only hope for all suffering. The worst suffering of all. He's the only hope for eternal suffering. And so listen, there's two options. You will be judged by Jesus or Jesus will be judged for you. Jesus will save you from your sin. Jesus will save you from eternal suffering by being judged for you and remove the sentence of judgment upon you. 300 times in the New Testament, it talks about the second coming of Jesus. You know that? 300 times. He says, Jesus is coming, so be patient. Jesus is coming, there's coming harvest. Jesus is coming, Hold strong. Jesus is coming. That's the promise. 
Look in verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, what does this look like, being patient, going through suffering, enduring with God? Well, here's an example. An example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. So he says the prophets are steadfast, Job is steadfast, and you will have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Listen, nobody ever gets a medal by going into battle and then retreating halfway through. Right? You don't sign up for the war, step in, and then be like, I'm just kidding, I'm out. You don't get a reward for that. I think there's actually a punishment for that. And so, listen, you only get an award if you end the war, if you finish the war, if you make it to the end. James 1.12, let me remind you, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Everyone say steadfast. That's the theme of James, y'all. Remain steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown. Everyone say crown. You will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. There's two categories, two examples. One is the prophets, the other is Job. He says, consider the prophets. You wanna wanna hold on to hope? You wanna know how to get through suffering? I want you to consider the prophets. When we think of the prophets, how many of you think of like superheroes in the faith? Like these guys should be wearing capes or something, right? I mean, just read through some of the things that they say, things that they did, the, the boldness, the courage. And so what a prophet does, let me just tell you what a prophet does. We think of prophecy as like, you know, seeing the future. But what a prophet does is a prophet actually hears a word from God and then goes tell the people the word. And the people, they don't want to hear it. Amen? How many times are like, oh, yeah, that's good, right? Like, repent, turn away. You're evil, you're wicked, you're sinful, you need God. Mm, I don't like that. So the prophet hears from God, goes tell the people of God. People don't want to hear it, they don't like it, they don't receive it, they don't celebrate it. So how are we as the people going to stop hearing the word of the Lord? I know, let's destroy the prophet. Let's, let's, let's do something with that guy so he stops saying that. Then comes the suffering. So if you think the prophets are like superheroes, listen, they're real people. They are human people. Listen to what happens to them. I'll flip over just uh, two, three pages in my Bible. Uh, Hebrews uh, 11, listen to this. He's talking about the faith and the steadfastness of the prophets. In verse 35, he says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Other prophets suffered mocking and flogging even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute and afflicted and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. How many of you, that sounds like a great life. Sawn in two? Yet they remain steadfast. Suffering comes, yet they remain These prophets, they weep, they bleed, they struggle, they suffer. Listen, they lose, but they endure patience and steadfastness, which means they win. And so he says, look at the prophets. Consider what they endured and remain steadfast and let that give you hope. But then he says, look at the prophet Job. The book of Job is in the Old Testament. It's a long book about one guy, and all he has is bad days. 42 chapters of bad days. And then he gets rewarded with five verses at the end. Right? I mean, he's just, he's going through it. Job is a wealthy man. He does well in business. He's healthy. He's got a family. He's got 10 kids. He's got seven sons. He's got three daughters. He looks blessed. You look at his life and say, that dude is blessed. Amen? 
We say, that guy's got it, right? He looks blessed. But then all of a sudden, the bottom falls out of his life. Listen, what does that mean? His kids die. His company is burned to the ground. He loses everything. His body breaks out in sores, right? He doesn't know where God is. He doesn't know what God is doing. 37 chapters of the book is Job saying, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, what is happening? God, where am I going? God, what is it? When is this going to end? He's passionate. He's emotional. He's truthful. And then he's got a wife, And his wife shows up and gives him the most credible uh, advice ever. She says, curse God and die. Let me just say this. Some of you, you've gone through a life-altering tragedy, and there will always be a voice that comes and says, curse God and die. You know what you need to do? You need to blame God. You know what you need to do? You need to turn your back on God. But the scripture would say, steadfast. Be steadfast. Trust him. And so listen, Job has these other buddies. And they come to him and they say, you know what? We've been taking some theology classes. And uh, what we've read is that, um, you know, suffering accompanies sin. And so it, it must be that you are in sin. So where's your sin? And he's like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not perfect, but, but, but I, I, don't, I don't know where I need to repent because I would. I, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at my heart. I'm examining my life. I don't understand what's going on. And Job chapter 1 actually calls him blameless. Sometimes your pain is self-inflicted. Sometimes you shoot yourself in the foot, and it's your fault. Okay? Like sometimes your, your sin, your pain, your suffering, it's self-inflicted, but sometimes it's not. Jesus was perfect. He never sinned, yet he suffered. Job was blameless, yet suffered. 37 chapters, he's trying to figure out what God is doing. And listen, you think, of course we know what's going on. We know something that Job doesn't know. Are you with me on that? Like his particular suffering, if you read the book in the first chapter, it tells us why Job is suffering. Let me tell you why he's suffering. It's a spiritual war. And Satan actually comes to God and says, you know what, that, that, the servant of yours, that Job, he, he only honors you. He, he's only steadfast. He's only faithful because you've blessed him with so much. I mean, look at his life. It's so beautiful. If you take that away, he'll curse you. He won't walk with you. He, 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 he will not remain steadfast. Listen, Job has no idea why he's suffering. You and I at times, we have no idea why we're suffering. Amen? No idea. But sometimes there's not an answer for your suffering. But we all know that God wants to carry us through it. He wants to carry us through it, listen to me, which is enough. Amen. So the whole backdrop of the book of Job is spiritual warfare. You look at Job and you say, how did he do it? How in the world? I would have turned my back a long time ago. Job remains steadfast. How did he get up every day after losing everything? They come to Job and say, hey, Job, hey, your kids are dead. I'm going to trust the Lord. Hey, your, 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 whole, your whole life just burnt down. I'm going to trust the Lord. Your friends are attacking your character. Okay, I'm going to trust the Lord. Your wife is your worst enemy. I'm going to trust the Lord. Everybody says your God is a joke. Steadfast. Keep my eyes on the Lord. Where is his hope in his suffering? Job chooses to look through his suffering to the coming of the resurrected Jesus Christ as Messiah. He looks through his suffering and stands steadfast on the promises 
of God. And he says, God promises that if I remain steadfast, I will have a glory that awaits me that's better than my suffering. He says, I'd rather go through suffering with God than without suffering and without God. I'm, I'm, I'm choosing God. I'm choosing faith. I'm choosing steadfastness. I'm choosing patience. And listen, this is why you're not getting super excited right now. Let me tell you the truth about Job. What you need to know is Job is the earliest written book of the Bible. Not the oldest in history, that's Genesis, the oldest writing. Meaning, Job writes before Moses. Why is this significant to our suffering? Listen, because we're on this side of the Old Testament. We're living here. We can read the scriptures. We can see the promises of God fulfilled and all of the promises coming to pass. All the things that God says happen. All the things that God says is yes and amen. And we see the promises of God fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, in the life of Jesus, in the resurrection of Jesus. We read the New Testament. We read the new promises of God that there's new life in Jesus, that we'll be resurrected with Jesus, that we can have eternity with Jesus. And so today, we are living on the edge of history and we are waiting patiently for the second coming of Jesus Christ and so the evidence of all the promises that have come to pass all the prophecies come true we can bankroll our entire life and our entire eternity on the fact that God is faithful amen and because of that we put all of our hope in the resurrection of Jesus which is a great place to put your hope amen and so we can put it all in Jesus. Jesus is faithful. Jesus has been faithful. Jesus will be faithful. Through my life of suffering, he will give me eternal peace where there is no suffering. But Job, Job was at the beginning. Job was the first person to write about hope. He is the first one to write about the resurrection and the eternal life that is found in the Messiah. Listen to Job 19, verse 25, in the middle of his suffering. For I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. That's a capital R. I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will one day stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed and my flesh may fail, I shall see God. I shall see him for myself. My eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints, melts within me. Job says before anything, my Redeemer lives. I am suffering, I don't understand it, I don't know why I'm going through it, but by faith I'm remaining steadfast. He is the first one to say, there's coming a day where the Messiah is going to come and stand upon the earth and I'm gonna see him with my eyes. He's gonna walk me through this suffering and on the other side of eternity waits Jesus my Lord. And then, a thousand years later, James comes. And he says, be patient. Be steadfast in hope like Job. And then here we are today, 2,000 years later, and we're still waiting patiently. But looking back, we see all the promises of Jesus Christ. We see all the promises of God and say, that is my hope. He says, consider the prophets Consider Job. And we today can look at our suffering and stand and say, I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know that one day he will take all of this suffering. One day I will stand before him and he is making all things new. I not know what day, but I know there is a day where Jesus will stand on the earth. He will come and bring the harvest and I will bear fruit and wait patient until that day. Job is looking through his suffering to the coming of Jesus Christ. He's looking 
at Jesus, if we remain patient and steadfast in the faith, no matter what you go through, it will be worth it. No matter what suffering has your name on it, you can endure with Jesus because his promise is true. In Jesus Christ, you'll be rewarded a crown of righteousness for all the suffering. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes to the church so that you would not lose heart. He says, don't lose heart. Look through your suffering. Look to Jesus. Listen to what it says. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That sounds like a harvest. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction. This light, momentary affliction is preparing. Everyone say preparing. It's doing something. It's growing under the soil. You don't understand it. You don't see it. You, you may not know it, but this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And this eternal weight of glory is not light. It is not momentary. It is heavy and it is everlasting and it is beyond all comparison. What's it like? I don't know. It's too big. What's the glory like? I can't explain it. It's, it's beyond anything we can even compare to. There's no analogy. There's no illustration that can even compare to the glory that awaits. And so there's a weight, there's a glory that's beyond comparison as we look. Everyone say look. Look. Not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. That means temporary, that are fleeting, they're going away. For the things that are seen are transient, but things that are unseen are forever. They're eternal. So James, he says, consider the prophets. Consider steadfastness. Paul says, look. Look at what? Look so you don't lose heart. What should we look at? Well, look at things that you can't see. How do we look at things we can't see? They're unseen. What are you talking about? Look at the unseen future things. Unseen glorious things. He means think about them. He means set your mind on them. He means meditate on them. He says, preach it to yourself. The foundation of patience and suffering and your steadfastness and faith and suffering is looking. Look. Look at God. Look at the promises of God. Look at Jesus Christ. Don't look at the fallen nature. Don't look at the scenario. Listen, don't avoid it. He's with you in it. But, but if you just dwell and you look and you set your mind and your thoughts and your heart upon the suffering, you will wish away. You will find despair. But instead, look. Look at the unseen. Look at the eternal. How do we do that? He says, look the promises of Jesus Christ. What is the promise? The promise is that in all your suffering, even if it lasts a lifetime, it's light and it's temporary and it's doing something. Your suffering, no matter how long it may last, he says it's light, it's temporary, and it's doing something. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart, my friends. Be patient, be steadfast, don't lose heart. The truth is that the thing that arouses us to be patient and steadfast through suffering is the truth that compared to our suffering, there is a uncomparable, unfathomable, ununderstandable glory that awaits those who remain steadfast compared to the weight and the greatness and wonder of the eternal glory that awaits. Your suffering is lightweight. There's something better. I think about 
waiting in line for the roller coaster at the amusement park. Wait, wait, because there's coming something that is so full of joy. But this joy is uncomparable. Every single moment of your suffering in the path of obedience is producing something. It's preparing something. It is producing a fruit that is ripe for the harvest of eternity, the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor heart can even imagine God has prepared for those who love him. Be patient. Be steadfast. This glory is better than any suffering. You can't see it now. You may not understand it now. But in the moment of suffering, Scripture reminds us to be patient, consider the prophets, remain steadfast, look at the promises of God, look at Jesus, and let us run. Scripture says, let us run with endurance. Endurance is the key word. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and seated at the right hand of God, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Look at Jesus. Today, we do something called communion and the Lord's Supper. And as you come, I want you to look with your heart at Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he says, I'm about to suffer. He took the bread and he says, it's going to be like this. He says, this is my body that's broken for you. Take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he says, this is my blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant. This Take this and do it in remembrance of me. Today, if you're suffering, remember Jesus. Look to Jesus. Trust Jesus and remain steadfast.